All right, let's, let's see that running start again. Okay, there's, I think there's a tension. Um, because on, the, on this one hand, we could take away this phrase, the wholehearted pursuit of bringing God glory. This is what worship is supposed to be about, right? And yet we have these, these needs ourselves. And so we come away with this conclusion, or we could, that it's selfish for us to come to worship and, and seek our own fulfillment. Have you guys ever felt this tension? It, it would be selfish of us to pursue our own satisfaction. And so it's supposed to be all about God, but at the same time, we have these, these desires, right? And so it's like, I, I, it almost like I could come up here and just be like, look, guys, make it all about God and stop being so selfish, right? What I want to say is that that's actually wrong, okay? That's, that's dead wrong, in a sense. John's smiling because he, I think he might know where I'm going with this, but I don't know. Um, but I think it's dead wrong, okay? So, and this is what I mean. I'm going to make an assertion, and I'm going to say that there is a kind of selfishness when it comes to worship, which is not only permissible, but commanded, okay? Now, this is not sinful selfishness. I'm not saying we're commanded to sin. But if we can put it that way, I put it that way to get your attention because it really is that potentially transforming. Uh, we are, in a sense, to seek pleasure and to seek the satisfaction of our desires in God. And therefore, when we come with needs and desires, it is actually not a bad thing. So uh, if I can, I'm going I'm to write a compliment to this. Okay, it is the wholehearted pursuit of bringing God pleasure and glory as a response to his grace. And it is also, therefore, the wholehearted pursuit of finding pleasure in God. And so these two things are actually not opposed to one another. The fact that we come with deep felt needs and wants and desires is not contrary to our being created to glorify God and that being the end and purpose of our existence. Okay? So these two things actually converge. And that's, I'm just going to spend tonight trying to prove that uh, because it's been such a, uh, an impactful truth in my life. At this point, I have to say, if you have read any John Piper, raise your hand if you're familiar with John Piper or just who he is. Or raise your hand if, you, if you've read Desiring God. Okay. So if you've read that book, you're going to see that I'm, I'm copying him in a lot of ways. And so I am uh, really a disciple of his in this aspect. And I believe that what he has to say on this is really important. Okay. And so that's why I'm, I'm going to this. And unashamedly, a lot of this is coming from what I learned from John Piper. Um, and uh, I'll just leave that there. So I actually want to start with, um, with this quote. This is actually a quote from C.S. Lewis. Uh, and this is, this is just kind of to open the door to, to this idea. Uh, and C.S. Lewis was, was one of the proponents of it. So I'm just going to read this. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and to earnestly hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing. I submit that this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoic and is no part of the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, think of, I'm just going to pause there. Are you following him? Think of all of the promises that, that Jesus himself says when he says, now, when you do this, when you obey me, there is incredible reward for you in heaven. 
and I want to motivate you by that reward. That's what he's pointing to. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but rather too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. What this is pointing to, what he's pointing to, is the fact that these, these two things are not diametrically opposed. In fact, they, they find that they converge. Okay, so if I go back here, these two things, kind of like, I don't know, sky and land eventually converge at the horizon line. These two things are going to converge, okay? The ultimate fulfillment of our desire and the gratification of it and God's glory. And that's incredible. That's wonderful. That is really good news, okay? But now I have to prove to you that that's true. And, uh, and there are a lot of very reasonable ways that you might be asking yourself, can that be true? And how is that not actually just sinful and selfish? So, number one, uh, in, in this kind of argument I'm going to make is uh, based on, I'll do it like this, the nature of praise, okay? And what I want to argue is that praise, no, delight <laughs> is a necessary prerequisite to true praise. Delight is like a necessary ingredient to the chemical reaction which results in praise. So if we're thinking of chemical reactions, we could like illustrate it like this. Okay, here's, here's something, and here's something. All right, but you ha whatever, whatever it is, you have to delight in something to enjoy it in order to actually praise it. And if delight in something is missing, if you're missing this element, then the praise that you're offering is actually hypocritical. And I want to I prove this to you in a couple of ways. But first, we should probably go to Scripture. So I want you to actually open up your Bibles. Let's go to Psalm um, 63. We will jump around a little bit. Um, but we're going to go first and hang out a bit in Psalm 63. The Psalms are just full of the language of desire for God and ultimately satisfaction in Him. And it's, un it's unashamed about it. Um, let me see if I can get rid of that. So I'm just going to read the first few lines here. I love this psalm. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So, I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. And so what I want to point out here, pausing there, is that if we, if we read in verse 3, we have because, let's see if I can mark this up. I don't remember how. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. And in other words, because I have tasted of your steadfast love, my lips will praise you. Does that make sense? So he's actually pointing to the satisfaction of this thirst. My soul thirsts for you. And he's saying, this is resulting in my praise. And this really isn't rocket science. This makes sense, right? 
God, you have satisfied me with yourself, and I'm going to praise you for it. And then look at the language he uses to describe that satisfaction. And some of this, uh, we can note the, the future tense, some of it is just this confident faith that he will be satisfied. But my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. And he's, and he's looking forward to the, to the point when he remembers God on his bed. He's literally in the middle of the night meditating on God. So the first point, again, is, is this. Delight is actually a necessary ingredient of praise. And so uh, one more quote from C.S. Lewis real quick, because he just says it well. Um, actually, no, before I, before I go there, before I go there, I want you to think about your own life, okay? Sometimes we divorce praise from everyday life. And what we need to recognize is that praise is not restricted to church, okay? In fact, we are surrounded by praise, and we are people who praise things all the time. We are constantly praising the things that we delight in, okay? So think for yourself of, I don't know, one of your, your favorite hobbies or one of your, you know, your favorite sports teams or one of the things that you just tend, you know, if you're just sitting here and you're bored with what I'm saying, where does your mind drift to and enjoy thinking about, right? What are those things that you just naturally gravitate to and find delight in? Okay, those same things are going to be the things that you talk about to other people and enjoy talking about. And so oftentimes our friends are the people who we, we have something to relate on so we can just jointly praise something together, right? So let's say you're a car guy and you just love, like, Lamborghinis. Well, the, the, when you meet a, another person who's a car guy and understands that love of a Lamborghini, and you can talk about it in so much more depth than I can. I don't even know what a Lamborghini looks like, so you're not going to really enjoy talking to me about it, right? But you want to praise that thing, right? That's, that's praise, but it, it wouldn't make any sense to praise something that you don't actually delight in, like just in everyday life, right? So if I were to, I don't know, what, <laughs> the, the example that comes to mind is like kale, all right? Um, <laughs> Like, if, if you're looking for somebody to get up on stage and just get everybody hyped on kale, like, don't ask me to get up on stage, right? It's like a, like a bad salesperson, I and mean, you'll hear this in sales, right? It's, the best salesperson is one who actually believes in the product, who actually loves what they're selling, who actually believes that what they're doing is a service to the person that they're selling it to. If it's not, that's when you get the idea of a slimy salesperson who knows that what they're selling is a ripoff, Right? But, when we, but it doesn't make any sense for me to get up here and, and praise kale if I don't really like kale. That would be seen as hypocritical. So, uh, when we delight in something, it just, it just naturally overflows in praise. And this is not something that's restricted to the religious sphere. In fact, somehow we've, we've disconnected that fact from Christianity and from God and from the definition of praise. And part of it is because we are failing to delight in God the way that we ought to, and we are still expected to be praising God because we know we're commanded to, and there's a disconnect there, and so then we, we walk into a service like this, and we feel this tension. I know I should be praising the Lord, but it feels like I'm, like I'm pulling teeth, and I've experienced that just time and time again, but just to make the point, delight is a necessary ingredient of praise, and C.S. Lewis takes it one step further, and he says, actually, Praise is the completion of delight. Not only do we praise things that we delight in, but actually, like, 
to complete the delight in something, we have to tell somebody else about it, okay? So like, how many of you were in the service this morning? Did you guys see the drum line? That was sick. That was awesome, okay? Um, and I, well, full disclosure, I really wanted to dance. All right, I like, I don't know, like, if we were, let's just be honest, if we were in, I mean, I've just heard of this, I've never been to Africa, but I feel like I've heard of places where they just have, like, awesome grooves, and everyone's just like, woo, like, let's dance, you know? Uh, I was like, man, that would be awesome if we were in a different culture, but if I did that right now, it'd be so distracting, so, like, totally inappropriate. Um, okay, all that to say, I loved, I, I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that, that incredible display, and actually, it, it served to, uh, I mean, that, that song was about the glory of God, and I was like, yeah, that is so cool. What a, what a cool way to use music to, to, to teach us and to, to display the glory of God. After that song, my delight in that song was not quite complete until I had turned to Kate and said, wow, I really like that. That was amazing. Did you like that? Like, did you also think that was pretty cool? And that's why we seek out people who also delight in the same things as us. Because it's not enough for me to just enjoy this cupcake all by myself. It's so much better if I enjoy it with somebody else and then we like, just start talking about how great the cupcake is, okay? It actually, in a sense, completes the, the joy and the pleasure of it. And that's kind of what, 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 um, what praise is. And so this is how, how C.S. Lewis said it. The most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I, I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, giving honor, praise God. But I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game. My whole more general difficulty about the praise of God depended on me, on my, absurdly denying to us as regards the supremely valuable what we delight to do and what indeed we can't help doing about everything else we value. So what he's saying is, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed, and he says, consummation. It's like the capstone of enjoying something, is praise. And so, cast in this light, hopefully you can see that it's not praise devoid of desire for God and enjoyment of God is kind of a strange idea, the more you think about it. Why would we be praising something that we don't actually like? or even enjoy. And actually, the more that we enjoy and delight in something, the more authentic and the more vibrant the praise is. And again, going back to Psalm 63, this is just an incredible example of, of a person doing this, meditating on it, and doing it even intentionally. You could say this, this psalmist is pretty selfish, right? He starts talking about how much he just longs for God. But, okay, my next point is this, that God's so our, our desire for him and our longing for him and our, our satisfaction in him is actually tied to his glory. Now, I kind of started with that point, but I want to I prove that a little bit, okay? So now, uh, I'll do it like this. This has to do with the nature of God's glory. Yeah. And I want to describe it kind of like, let's say a light bulb. Uh, all right pretty good. All right. <laughs> that's a wall. That's a light bulb. I'm in hot water with my drawings these days. So uh, this is how I want to say it, okay? Our delight in God 
is, inter- is, is connected to God's glory, okay? So you'd say it like this. Our delight is like the, let's say, electricity. And the light is directly proportional to the amount of current going through that light bulb. So the more current that, you, that flows into the light bulb, the more glory, the more light actually shines out from that bulb. So what I'm saying is, the more that we desire God, and the more that our praise flows from a, an enjoyment of God, actually, the more glory he gets. And uh, first, this is an analogy that John Piper makes, and I think it's helpful. Okay, picture, walk, all right, be with, come with me here. You guys with me? All right. <laughs> this far side of the room was more here. You guys, you guys with me? You're like, yeah, I guess so. All right. Picture that it's my anniversary, okay? And I am going to bring Kate flowers on our anniversary, okay? The question I want to ask is, which is more honorable to her, okay? If I pick out, let's say, like 50 roses, all right, and I bring them, I mean, it's like a lot, yeah, like way too much, but it's not. So, but you might say, that's too many roses. Exactly. Okay, so I'm getting like as many roses as I can, and I just buy a ton of chocolate, because I know that she likes dark chocolate, and I, and I bring these to her, and I bring them home, and I walk in the door, and I say, here you go, happy anniversary. And then if she says to me, I mean, she'd be speechless, right? This is amazing. But then she would say, unfortunately, because I need to do this way more often, but she would say to me, why? Why so many? Why are you doing it like this? Why are you showing me your love like this? And Okay, there's two responses I could make. Uh, the first response that I could make would be something like, well, I know that it's the duty of a husband to love his wife. And, and so I know that it's, it's, it's good to give things to your wife. And so because I know that it's good, I, I bought these, these roses for you. Here you go. And what if I added on to that? Now, I want you to know that this is an entirely unselfish act. So I didn't even enjoy buying them. <laughs> and you're right to laugh because it's, it's ridiculous, right? Okay, what if on the other hand I come and I say, well, I bought these for you because it's my supreme delight to love you. And, and it just fills up, the, the satis- it satisfies my heart to give these to you, Right? Which, which honors her more? The one that, that, that says virtue is just unselfishness, and, and this, you know, I, there was no part of me that was invested in this. It's just I did it because I knew it was right. Or, on the other hand, doing it because I'm recognizing that she is the thing that, that's satisfying me, right? And she's bringing me all this joy, and I want her to know that. I want to show that to her. That actually honors her, because what I'm doing is I'm showing this need in me is being fulfilled in you, Right? That is honoring her. And that, in a sense, is glorifying her. So if we use that analogy with God, I think it, it makes a little bit more sense. We, we actually glorify God more when these longings in our hearts find their fulfillment in him. It, it pleases him, but also makes him look really good. We're the beggars, and he's the one who just lavishes his love on us. And it would be very silly of us to reject that and say, oh, actually, nothing in it for me, God. It's all about you. No, it is all about him. But the way that we show that it's all about him is by accepting his gift and saying, yes, I am an empty cup that needs to be filled, and I want to be filled by you. 
And so I'm going to go to you for the satisfaction of all, of all that I long for. So again, we could, we could go back to this, this psalm. And this is, I think, again, what, what's, what's being communicated in, in these first couple lines. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You are the water that satisfies me. And so it actually glorifies God the more satisfied we are in him. I mean, so now we're basically coming to one of John Piper's little taglines, which is, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And so we can, and, and the Psalms are, are full of this, this language of, of delight in God. And I might be going out of order here, but I want to jump to Psalm 16, just to kind of, uh, this is one of, one of my favorites. Psalm 16, if you want to jump over there. What's amazing about this is, is the psalmist is just rejoicing in the riches of God. And he's, in, he's rejoicing in the fact that God is giving him himself in, in just this bounty. So, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. This is Psalm 16 again. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. And I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. Verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. So the Lord is my inheritance. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. That inheritance that I've gotten is pleasant. I have a beautiful inheritance. So verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel, and the night also my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me, and because he's at right, my right hand, I shall not be shaken. And then look at this. Therefore, because I have the Lord, my heart is glad. I'm happy. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. In, in other words, I'm not even afraid of death. Because you make known to me the path of life. And then these last two lines are really what I was driving for. In your presence there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The, the, the Christian life is not about denying our pleasures. Right? There's a lot about Christianity that is self-denial. Take up your cross and follow me. Now, what we, what we have to recognize is it's never as if we're just, we're just supposed to leave everything that we want and desire behind and then just walk after the Lord. But actually, everything that we used to want and desire is just dwarfed in comparison to the incredible riches that lie with following the Lord. And therefore, when we, when we sacrifice, we actually, we're really not making a sacrifice. So uh, there's... there's I forget which missionary is who said, uh, you know, it was like at the end of his life, you, you could have traced his life and said, man, you made incredible sacrifices. But he said, I never made a sacrifice. There was, there was never a time that what I gave up was greater than the thing that I received from the Lord. Even if that thing was, was purely just the satisfaction of God's presence in the midst of hardship and, and comfort in affliction. I never made a sacrifice. So we'll, we'll land, actually, let's go to Psalm uh, 37 here. 
I know, Psalms. And, and here's the command. Here's the command which really, in, in my mind, seals the deal. 37, verse 4. You might have heard this verse before. Um, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's it. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And of course, those desires are himself, because you've delighted yourself in the Lord. That's, he becomes your desire. And then, and then you begin to fill up with satisfaction and pleasure and joy. True happiness. As a side note, I think I've said this before, but it deserves saying again. Joy um, is not different from happiness, I think. I've been convinced. Now, oftentimes that's taught. Um, joy and happiness are synonyms, essentially. Uh, and in a sense, we can use joy to, to refer to the, to the deepest sense of happiness. But it's not less than happiness. And so we really are commanded to be happy, <laughs> happy people. And that's a strange command. Because how do you command someone to feel something? Well, I think it starts right here when we're commanded to delight ourselves in the Lord. And then that happiness will come. He'll give you the desires of your heart. So a couple of implications I want to make um, for specifically. Now, originally, I wanted to spend this time talking about praise more specifically. And then I realized, you know, I think this counterpoint is just so important for us to recognize when it comes to to worship in general, because this applies not just to praise, but to, to worship, because really what I was striving to prove last time we talked was worship is not just when we gather like this and sing a song, but worship is meant to be your entire life spent serving the Lord and spent honoring the Lord, and ultimately that's worship. That's what Paul meant. Give your bodies as a living sacrifice, but I wouldn't want it to make it sound like we just do that for no good reason or as if there's no, well, yeah, as if there's no reason for that other than God's glory. But God has intricately tied together his glory and our good because he knows us. He made us, and he made us to be creatures that desire something, and that is himself, ultimately, for the Christian. So I think it's kind of the, the counterbalance to it. Now, but with that said, uh, there are a couple of uh, applications I want to make Okay, I didn't, I didn't write anything down. Um, about when we come to praise together, because I think this is just, we do it so often, I think we should think about it very seriously. And in fact, uh, I am in the process of thinking about it a lot. So I almost wish I could just do a whole other series on just gathered praise. I'm gonna call it gathered praise because worship, I don't think, well, worship describes it, but it can be misleading to think that that's all that worship is. So, but a couple of applications for gathered praise. Um, first question to ask is, what is the goal when we gather to praise? And if I can put it simply, based on this, it is to feast on God. I think, and again, thinking of praise as kind of this consummation, it's like, hopefully we've been feasting on God all week, and this is the consummation of it. This is the, the fulfillment of it. This is the, that ultimate peak of it when we get to join each other and praise God together. And that leads to the second point, which is it is to feast on God. And, and then actually the most emphasized thing in the New Testament about praise is that it's meant to encourage one another, which is interesting, right? That we're supposed to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in encouragement to one another, to edify each other. As so you think about it, you're like, huh, how does that fit with, with everything that we just talked about? Well, it goes back to you find people 
that you love the same thing. And then you just like get together and you start like telling each other about how great that thing is. And you both come to enjoy that thing more and more and more. That's the nature of praise. And so it's no different when we gather together here and we start praising the Lord together. What we're meant to be doing is on the one hand, personally enjoying God and, and remembering. And on the other hand, it's meant to be this like congregational thing where we do this together. And we're actually singing not just for our own sake, but as we remember the truth of something, we say, he died for me. Yeah, yeah, he died. Guys, like, wake up. Like, he died for me. Like, and then you think, wow, like, I, I can't believe that the Father, he sent his only son. And, and then something, something about that suddenly comes alive inside of you. And hopefully you've been meditating on this throughout the week. And then, again, it overflows in praise to God. And that praise actually extends to other people. And that's, that's another element of praise that's kind of interesting is, uh, we often think of praise as directed to God, and that can be true. But again, using the analogy of what we often praise in life, praise involves talking to other people about it. So actually, uh, I remember being in a, a Psalms class with Peter Gaiman, and he made the point that most of the time when the Bible talks about praise, it's actually talking about, or at least often, especially in the Psalms, it's saying when, when you praise, it's implied that someone else is listening. It's implied that not only am I alone in my closet saying, God, you are so good, but I am out on the street corner, or probably more likely just in my workplace or in my class, and I'm turning to the person next to me and I'm saying, God is so good. That's praise. And so when we gather like this, that's praise. So what's the goal of gathered praise? It's to feast on God and to encourage others to feast on God. And then the, the second question I want to answer is, what if I don't feel like I'm delighting in God? And I think... Ultimately, that's going to describe every person in this room, probably, uh, to some degree. What if I'm not feasting on God like I should be? If, if delighting and enjoying God is this emotion, how do I, I can't just cause it. That's true. So what do we do? Um, I think the first thing, if, if our delight in God corresponds so closely with God's glory, then that means that if we're not really enjoying God, we're not really giving him the glory he deserves. So our first step should be repentance. We should repent of the fact that we're not enjoying God. Like he's, and we're not giving him the glory that he's honestly due. And that repentance, and so we'll, with, with some fiber of our being, we need to recognize, like, I am dishonoring God in the way that I'm approaching him. This is, this is backwards. This is so wrong that I'm coming into this, this place and I'm more concerned about, you know, whether, or, or, I don't know, that, Think of yourself walking into Sunday morning. What occupies your mind? It's so easy to be distracted. We recognize that. But we need to feel this brokenness and this repentance over the fact that we're not, you know, we're, we're, we're thinking about, okay, do I like this song? Do I know that person over there? You know, maybe this music is distracting. I don't even like this. When really the, the object of our devotion is, is being thrust before us and we're, are, are we actually taking him in? Well, inevitably, we're going to find ourselves saying, I want to take you in, but I'm, I'm struggling. <laughs> and so it starts with, I repent. That's my computer, sorry. I repent. And then, here's the, the next thing that's an encouragement is, God also, I believe, purifies our praise. He purifies everything we do. If anything is to be accepted by him that we do, then he has to purify it. Our motivations are never going to be pure. And so, 
we can still offer praise to God, and he's going to take that grain of truth in it, and he's going to accept it. That's the grace of God. And he's going to say, you know what, I'm going to reward you, good and faithful servant, because there was a grain of truth in what you were singing, and, and you truly were grateful to me in some sense. But then everything else is just going to burn away. And so when we come, we, if we want to actually offer something acceptable to God, then the more that we delight in God truthfully and offer that praise to him authentically, I believe that's actually the most pleasing thing to him. So, but, but again, thankfully, it, this doesn't mean if you walk in and you feel cold, you just shouldn't praise. Actually, quite, quite the opposite. Uh, because part of what we do when we praise is also reminding ourselves of, of the truth. And so that's why the content of what we sing is so vitally important. Because if, if, we are, if we're only singing about God, uh, or sorry, if we're only singing about like the experience of worship, let's just take another step back, right? Uh, if we only sing things like, I worship you, I love you, you're great, I love you, I love you so much, this is so great, okay? Uh, we're, we're, unfortunately, we're not throwing open the windows to gaze at God himself. And so my, I, I really believe that a large portion of our songs should be simply expounding what, what God did on the cross. It should be expounding the attributes of God. What it should be doing is trying to throw open and throw some light on who God is so that we can begin to savor him and enjoy him. And then I think a helpful question is, if you want to delight in God, then think about how you delight in anything else and then do, do those things. So, um, for example, how do you delight in the Grand Canyon? Gabby was just at the Grand Canyon, I think, right? Okay, think about what you do to, to delight in the Grand Canyon. Well, first of all, you open your eyes and you look at it, all right? Okay, so <laughs> in a sense, we need, to, we need to look at God, but then we also need to think about, like, okay, your delight and your, your profound sense of awe is going to multiply as you think on what created that Grand Canyon. Your sense of awe is going to increase as you look at the detail of the, the geological lines, or, or whatever it is, right? You're, you're going to go deeper into it. The more that you look at it, the more that you're going to enjoy it. And so, and so it is with God. We need to actually look at him. Um, and, and to use a different analogy, if we, if we want to ultimately delight in God more, it's the same as a person. When we, when we want to delight in another person, it means getting to know them. And almost inevitably, if you get to know someone, even someone that you don't like, this is like the plot of like a whole lot of rom-coms, right? <laughs> is that you don't like each other, ah, you learn about each other. Oh, now I understand you, I love you, right? <laughs> well, I, I mean, there's some truth in that. There's some truth in the fact that the more that we understand someone, the more that we know of them, and not just know of them, but experience them, then the more we're actually going to love them. And it's no different with God. And our ultimate goal should be to delight in him because that actually glorifies him. So, uh, just in closing here, we're to be people who seek joy. We're to be people who actually seek satisfaction. And it, that's not a bad thing. In fact, Jesus himself, and God's the ultimate example of this, he seeks his own glory. And he seeks his own satisfaction in himself. Right? And so when he created us, he created us to seek satisfaction in his glory. That's how he made it to be. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. He didn't endure the cross just because that was the right thing to do, and virtue is just some abstract thought. No, he enjoyed, he didn't, he endured the cross for the sake of the joy set before him. And so we also are meant to, for the joy set before us, forsake all else 
and, and, and chase joy, chase satisfaction in God. And there's, there's a parable that Jesus tells, the parable of the hidden treasure, where he says, uh, it's my favorite because it's so short and it's just so to the point. There's once a man who found a treasure hidden in a field and he covered it up and in his joy, he went and sold all that he had. In his joy. Why was he joyful? Well, because then he went back and he bought that field. And that treasure is, is the Lord himself. All right, we're going to do some, uh, just some discussion questions now. Um, and I'd encourage you just to gather up with somebody around you, maybe three or four people, whatever is natural. Um, and I'm still learning how to, how to make discussion questions that are actually helpful. Um, so hopefully these are helpful to you. Um, if something isn't super helpful, then you don't understand it, then just move on to the next one. But um, the goal here is just to like talk a little bit, interact with it a little bit, and if you don't understand something, now is the time to be like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Or if you said, well, uh, I, I think he's wrong because of th these verses. Now is the time to kind of bring that up. That's great. Um, so here's a few of them. Um, what's something that you praise without thinking about it? And what does your love for anything, like a hobby or a person or a place, how, how does that love grow over time? What feeds that love of that thing? And have you ever experienced satisfaction and joy from obeying God? Do you have any reservations about pursuing rich pleasure and fulfillment in God, and finally, what prevents you from pursuing satisfaction in God? Is there anything that is kind of holding you back from this idea? So um, go ahead, talk for a few minutes, and then we'll sing one more song. <laughs>